Hello and welcome to the first December edition of the Finishing Touch podcast. I am your host, Tyler Wilson, joined as always by my colleague at the theswishtheory.com, David Sidock. And uh, with us today, a very special guest, uh, yet another Swish Theory uh, colleague here, Avinash Shahan. Avinash, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Doing great, doing great. Looking forward to having you on, man, getting to talk some draft. It's draft season, baby. I'm excited. I can't wait. Right, we're finally here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to start uh, start talking about some of these uh, early season standouts and what you have to think about sample size and Bartor queries and all that good stuff. But Firstly, we're going to start off with a question we ask all of our guests, and that is, which skills do you think are hardest and or easiest to develop for prospects? Um, I think for the hardest skill to develop, it's kind of ironic because it's like the name of the podcast, but finishing touch seems pretty difficult to um, really target because it's like it's kind of a culmination of a, t- a ton of different skills. And I think that there's so many different avenues to being a good finisher, but they're all dependent on just finding like efficient finishing angles. And I think the ability to find finishing angles, there's a lot of ways to um, to approach the issue, but it ultimately comes down to like some sort of like flexibility issues where you, you should have the flexibility to m- perhaps maneuver on defender, get those, um, go from like a, a situation where you're an ISO, but you still ultimately end up with that positive finishing angle. And then there's also that that aspect of touch, which is like, you have that good that angle and then you have to actually convert the um the attempt so i think it's so difficult to just simply get to the angle in the first place where that that combination of finding the angle and having the requisite touch to actually um convert the shot i think that there's so many factors that go into it that it seems relatively difficult to find like a good approach to actually start and find a way to um um, improve your your requisite finishing touch ability but um, so yeah, like just generally finishing, finishing craft, finishing touch. I think perhaps generally the entire like concept of finishing overall, but there are some exceptions, which we may talk about later, future prospects. But for um, perhaps like the, the easiest skill to improve, I think it's kind of a cop answer, but like off ball activity, I think there's a lot of players that aren't as active off ball and that may be a schematical issue where those players, they're just not schemed to like, um, make those like scripted cuts or s- stuff like that, or like perhaps moving around, like around a dribble handoff and go- or maneuver around a screen and take a three. Like these like scripted actions are largely dependent on the system. In some cases, there are obviously there's like reactive cuts. And I think that's like something Ben McThurin has shown a really a great propensity for, but I think generally speaking off ball activity and off just off ball um, activity is it's not easy of course, but it's, probably the easiest skill to improve on in this context. I think that makes a lot of sense. A lot of players, especially in the, the earlier stages of their development, are, are are the best players on their team and have the ball in their hands a lot of the time. So it, it does feel like a general progression that, you know, off-ball movement and off-ball skill package is uh, something that comes with time. It's not like it's an impossible thing to develop, but definitely isn't something that a lot of the, the guys, especially that are drafted, end up doing when they're 16, 17 years old, playing on their AAU team. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Avi is a finishing touch merchant, which is uh, one of my uh, one of one of the reasons I'm very excited to have him on the podcast today. Uh, we've been covering a lot of uh, NBA teams and, and players that are already in the league recently here, and wanted to take a quick step back and 
uh, kind of use what we've talked about so far and kind of focus our lens on the upcoming draft class. It's uh, December scouting season is really starting to come around. It's probably my favorite month of the year for basketball, just in terms of being able to watch two really competitive leagues and uh, get into uh, what is going to be of this new draft class. It's obviously small sample size theater at this point in time. So there's a difficulty to taking away some t- statistical uh, takeaways, but there is, there are things to be gained. And uh, right now the kind of the name of the game is trying to figure out who's worth watching and who is worth spending time on to put a large amount of tape in over the course of the year. And so that is the question we are going to try to answer today. So I, I guess my first question here to start off with for, for you, obvious, uh, you are probably the person that I think of most when I think of uh, bar profiles and queries, like you are the king of it. And so I, I, I want you to walk us through, like when you are making a bar query and you're looking for a certain thing, are you looking for like a specific player type? Or are you looking for like just general, like catch all filters to kind of get rid of some of the junk? Like, what is it that you kind of start with in, in, in perusing uh, statistical outputs, specifically early in the year? Um, I think one big consideration is the differential like archetypes and that, that effect on the bar queries and just overall taking like historical data and trying to figure out which archetypes are most valuable and then applying that towards like as a heuristic for future draft classes. And what I found is that it's somewhat obvious, but I, I think wings are the easiest to scout as a um, function of Bart queries solely. Like if you have a productive wing, versus a productive center versus a productive guard, generally speaking, the wings are most likely to translate. And I think that's partly because there's so much that isn't within BART that you can't really like perceive. For example, like you can't perceive like their relative burst. You can't you can't tell like their finishing craft around the room. You can't you can't really like tell how they get the baskets. It just the statistics are there. So I think that's a bigger consideration for um, guards. And then with centers, there's so much about their defensive profile. Can they um, guarded a variety of pick and roll coverages, like stuff like that, that it's already so limiting where that with wings specifically, I think that it's the easiest in a sense, obviously it's not easy at all, but it's the easiest in a sense to um, approach those bar queries. So I think stratifying each type of query by archetype, maybe it's just general, like guards, wings, um, centers, maybe it's by size, like just anyone under 6'5 is a guard, anyone 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, like, is a wing and 6'10 onwards is center. But just that stratification by archetype is it's somewhat, it seems kind of negligible, but I think it's very important in actually in going, honing in on those stratifications and then finding particular like valuable archetypes within those um, macro archetypes. So I think that looking within those wings, um, there are some like statistical indicators that I found to be like particularly fruitful. And though the one consideration here is that it is very early in the season, right? Like I think Paolo Bancaro had like, a 5% assist rate, like two or three or four games in the season, like the first week. And I I looked at that and it was, it looks weird because assist percentage for me is pretty important in my evaluation. And obviously if you look at his um, tape in high school and obviously going on onwards from Duke from that very point, he's a very good passer. So like there, you can't make these like uh, these cemented takeaways from the early weeks. I think generally speaking, like looking for these interesting productive archetypes where not only do they have a good combination, like for wing specifically, I like the the dribble pass shoot combination, which is as long as they have uh, my favorite query, which is, which um, is centered around that the dribble pass shoot um, uh, heuristic, is like eighty percent free throw percentage, like three and two block and steal percentage, and then maybe like a five BPM for like that productivity metric. 
So simply like taking into consideration like unique skills in combination with productivity, I think that's the best approach for, regardless of archetype, but specifically for wings, it's extremely fruitful. And finally for like shooting specifically, I found that um, it's it's been a work in progress, but shooting is not just if you have a good free throw percentage, you're a good three point shooter and vice versa. If you're a good three point shooter, that does not mean you're going to be a good three-point shooter in the league. There's so many different considerations and tape considerations that you need to make on co in combination with the bar torvik. So I think sh shooting evaluations have, the more you dive into it, the more you realize it's it's not that easy and it's, it's particularly nebulous. And so if you consider all these three things in tandem, like the importance of stratifying by archetype, the importance of using productivity and like funkiness and and the, the tertiary like shooting um, compensation, I think in in um, culmination like taking these three considerations i think that's probably the most important in perhaps developing a good bark query and actually analyzing a bark query effectively yeah i'm curious to hear more about your thoughts on small sample size um i read an article by owen phillips a little while back that talked about the concept of sticky stats uh in regards to the the summer league so like which which of these summer league stats correlate highest to how a prospect or a player will perform in the regular season. And he mm -hmm. came to the conclusion using data and whatnot that three-point attempts for 36, assists for 36, blocks for 36, offensive rebounds for 36 are like the highest correlated. And then um, like three-point three percentage, minutes per game, free throw percentage are, are the least correlated. So I kind of want to hear what you think are the stickiest stats for like early season college guys, or if you have any feel for that at all. Yeah, I I did actually read that article and I generally agree with that. Um, just simply put, like percentages are not sticky, especially in a small sample size. Like there's no opportunity for those to start like fit over time because obviously it's just, it's a very small sample size. So it would make sense, you know, like three point percentages is not positive, is not um, highly sticky. Free throw percentage is not highly sticky. I think maybe like the other percentages, like two point percentage, like finishing uh, percentage, those may be a little more sticky and you can take a little bit more um, takeaways from that, especially because I feel like those are more correlated with your the tape. Like for instance, if a player is having trouble finding those finishing angles and they have a low um, uh, rim attempt percentage and a low uh, rim percentage overall, I think you can make that takeaway that perhaps they're not that good at the rim. But um, I think, the, the point about three-point attempts, so that's something that's very important. That's something that me and Mike Grimnaw have talked about recently is that three-point volume is also a very good indicator of um, like the confidence that you have. And it's it bodes very well in projecting how good of a shooter that player is going to be. So if we look at someone like um, jo Josh Green, right, His he was supposed to – he was billed as a solid shooter, right? Um, I think he shot like 78% free throw line. He was – like a 36% shooter at, and at Arizona for, at three. But the issue was the confidence, right? He was, he, he is, I think it was his three point attempt per 100 possessions. It was like five or six, which is, it's relatively, it depends on what, what your archetype is, right? Like five for a center is extremely high, but for someone who's billed as a three and D like wing, that's pretty low, especially since that was his bread and butter con considered considerably his bread and butter coming out of college or going into college as well. So I think that looking at the relative confidence of a player to put up those shots, perhaps they're not passing up open looks, perhaps like they're they have the confidence to drill a shot in the face of a defender. That's something that's very important, and that that um, confidence combined with like a 
a metric of feel, which can be determined like as a proxy from uh, assist percentage, which Owen also mentioned. I think using confidence and feel as a metric for um, perhaps like uh, outlier development or just normal development in general, I think those two stats in tandem are very important in projection and just understanding the, the underlying mechanisms of development. Yeah, I think when looking at the previous class that there's like a lot of examples of that kind of question like, okay, well, is it someone that has like maybe like slightly higher, what's the word I'm thinking, like aesthetically pleasing touch indicators, I guess. So like, I mean, my person obviously was like, it was, it was Kendall Brown. I loved Kendall Brown in last yeah. year's class and had a very large hesitancy of shooting the ball, which obviously has kind of projected into this year some versus Jeremy Sohan on his team who shot a worse percentage and by all means has worse touch around the rim than Kendall Brown does, but was willing to take shots regardless of circumstance, like consistently. And I think that in, I mean, obviously we'll see how that plays out, but I think that more often than not, the person that's willing to take shots and willing to like, continue to miss and to continue to get reps actually in, in developing that is going to improve in shooting and, and to a larger degree, because it's, it's, it's hard to get better at something you don't actually do very often. And yeah. uh, I, I, I think that using, especially as, as far as shooting and finishing touch, that's something that like, is entirely a befuddling topic that's kind of hard to like get a grasp behind but i think that bart does bart and whatever it is instat or, or synergy in terms of like where they're actually finishing on the floor at certain rates and kind of using that as a kind of a starting point for like a deeper film watch like okay well like you look at blake wesley last year and it's like okay well he has this horrible percentage around the rim and he has this horrible percentage in the mid-range and he has a horrible like free throw touch like this is like it's not a really ugly profile, whereas you know maybe it's not as doom and gloom as as it would necessarily appear. And like yeah, he finished poorly around the rim because his his touch wasn't great, but he he was able to get good finishing angles. He just you know didn't have touch or was also really skinny and he really struggled to finish through contact in, in any kind of degree. And so like using the the numbers, especially from a shooting stent, shooting perspective, and kind of like whittling down why are things happening, kind of helps you narrow the variables of what you're looking at. Like, okay, well, this could be the one thing that's wrong, or it could be these two different things that are going poorly, um, or it just could be everything, I guess, in, in some respects. But uh, no, yeah, I think that I if there's anything for me that Bart opened eyes on, it was like shooting and touch. Cause that was like, it was really cool to be able to see like, oh, well, you can see how they're like, how many dunks they have versus how many rim attempts. And like, how, what are they finishing without dunks? And like, how does that, how does that affect your overall view? There's a, a ton of ways to look at it. That's really interesting. I kind of view like each shot, like there, it's like a triumvirate in a sense where it's like you have the the confidence to take the shot, but there's also like the ability you have to create the best possible look, which could be like perhaps mm -hmm. at the rim, it's contorting your, your torso or just maybe at the three point line, like creating separation through handle. So there's like the actual confidence to take the shot, like there's a separation for the shot. And then there's the actual like the touch for the shot itself, right? Like you have someone like RJ Barrett, where I think they, at Duke, he, he had a considerable volume, but the touch was just simply was not there. If you look at like the two point unassisted percentages, like just the ability to get to the rim and convert layups, I think there was a clear deficiency within the touch. So regardless of the actual comp confidence you have, you also have to like, open up like the separation and you have to have the um, the requisite touch. So like, even if you're lacking in one area, how do you compensate with that in the other area? And like the whole issue with um, scouting is, how do you balance all three of them and figure out which combination leads to the best possible um, percentages and accuracy at the next level? So I think it's a very complex problem, but confidence is one of like the key like parts of that formula. And having a limited confidence is pretty detrimental overall to your
your overall projection. I agree. And I, th I think that the Josh Green, as someone we spoke about earlier, is kind of someone who was maybe not put into the best position early in his career to build said confidence and to continue to grow in that. Because I think that it Arizona, I don't think he played with a lack of confidence. I think that he played within his role and he played comp like he played not as somebody who was going to get his own bucket, but he didn't look like he was afraid to shoot. It didn't look like he was afraid to like make decisions on like a consistent basis. It looked like he was afraid to dribble with his left hand, but that has yeah. maybe <laughs> continued. Uh, but it, then to go into a pro uh, situation where you obviously have a coach that is not going to empower you in, in Rick Carlisle early on in your career. Like, how does that, like, what is the butterfly effect of that initial year in the league of like having your confidence drained from you? What, how does that affect the rest of your development? And how does that like ruin the pre-draft scout? Which I think is a really interesting question that is kind of impossible to uh, to think about in uh, in terms of like accuracy of like whatever it is, big boards or, or, like, or, or rankings of players. And like how, as soon as their name is chosen that they're put into a circumstance that is entirely different than the one they were in before that you had no way of accounting for. And now there's a whole new set of variables in terms of their development and growth that you couldn't have accounted for originally. And so like, how does that affect things? Which does make the whole idea of draft evaluation and like a, on a, like a league wide level feel kind of like a fool's errand. Like, what are we actually doing here pre-draft? Like, how did, who, doesn't really matter. Like if, if X player goes into this team, like, it's over. I mean, I think that that is a, a really, interesting and confounding thing that I'm not really sure there's an answer for. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to report that Josh Green's confidence is improving. Yeah. 40% 40, 40 from three and the volume's a little bit higher. It's obviously still not where like I'd want it to be, but it's better than it's been in years past. But um, moving on a little bit, I'm kind of uh, interested to hear what I, who are Avinash's early season Bart Torvik superstars like who caught your eye who have you kind of uh delved into their tape a little bit more after after viewing their profile um here's everything about that okay so um I think the first prospect I'd have to talk about is probably Tucker DeVries and this is a guy that's popped up on my radar before in like previous Bart queries I think the first time I found him was um last year where I, I was trying to find like players similar to um, Patrick Baldwin historically and I, I ended up finding Tucker who had like the exact same like the uh, distribution of like the splits was like the exact same like he had the same strength the same weaknesses as Baldwin but like all the numbers were like slightly up so I was very confused it was like this guy just seems like a little better version of Baldwin and obviously like that's that's a very reductive way to analyze but um, and just the first time I found him and I think the thing that really draws me to DeVries is that he has he obviously has shooting touch at six seven, which I think that's that's something that everyone's always shooting looking for, right? Like wing shooting is something that's such a highly valued commodity in this league. Not only because like if you can shoot at a good level, that it's important, but also because of the, the sheer mismatches you get from like running a six seven guy off like screens and shooting like movement threes. But I think with Devries, the difficulty of his shots and like the pure touch that he like he showcases is it's like actually crazy to me and. I think one good example is today, um, uh, Drake, the team he plays for is Drake, and they ran him off um, an uphill dribble handoff, which is, it, it doesn't sound that difficult when you just listen to it, right? Like it sounds like another normal dribble handoff, but what makes it so difficult is because you're running from, it's a north, it's south-north alignment essentially, and you, you run, you run uh, around the screen, and then you align yourself facing the basket, even though you're 
back was facing the line, the basket just like seconds before. So it's almost like you you make a full 180 twist and you shoot the ball. So the control of momentum that you must have to like conduct an uphill dribble handoff, you just don't see that in even in college in general. That's that's a very uh, play that you see like Kevin Herter running or, or like Clay Thompson running. You don't you rarely see that in college, let alone for a wing shooter. So I think that just like the control he has over his body and just the innate touch that he showcases, it's it's pretty wild to me, like the the type of shooter he can be just because not only does he have that touch, but he has the like he has every type of movement three in his bag. And again, he's he was a somewhat highly rated recruit. I think he wasn't top 100, but his RSCI was like 75. He's pretty young, relatively the sophomore. He's six, seven, of course. And I think just seeing this type of player, it's it's not very common. To see. I don't think it's common at all. So it's kind of hard to project. How does that look development wise? How do you see a guy who's already hitting off the dribble threes at six, seven and just going off veering weird momentum patterns and going off uphill dribble handoffs? How does he, how do you project that player? And I don't know, to be completely honest. And that's part of the intrigue of Tucker. There's really not many players like him who can do this on the perimeter, but also his mid range shot making is absolutely incredible, which you don't really see from like wing shooter specialists. So in tandem, when you have that, the mid range shot making, as well as the, the crazy momentum um, perimeter shot making, he's just a crazy shot maker. And I'm really interested to see how he progresses offensively and how he finds a niche in the NBA. Yeah, Tucker's a really interesting case, and as somebody that has, has certainly caught my eye early, and is uh, the shooting efficiency is just kind of like astounding. Like, it, there's almost like no way you could possibly doubt that he's going to be a shooter in the league. Just uh, watching the kind of looks that he takes and the efficiency he has, and actually making them is, is pretty remarkable. I mean, like we said at the top, it is small sample size theater, but he, he's shooting sixty percent in the mid range, like twenty makes on thirty three attempts. Like, there's there are a lot of off-ball wings that wouldn't get even like 40 attempts in a season in, in the yeah. mid-range just in how they play the game. So I think that there is a little more diversity in terms of his like scoring package and ability to like be confident taking shots from different spots on the court. I, he's he's really good. He's really interesting. I you as someone who's been in on Tucker a little bit longer than uh, than I would say uh, for sure. Um, how do you view the, his complementary skill set? besides just the shooting? Is it a situation where he's going to be someone who's going to be purely a shooting specialist? Do you think he has a little more off the bounce in terms of like being able to get to the rim in any kind of circumstance or passing the connector? Like, how do you view his role offensively at the next level? Um, I think there's like, a, if you look up Tucker, actually probably not anymore, but since there's so many like highlight videos now, but if you looked up Tucker DeVries like in May, like the first video that would pop up is Tucker DeVries, six, seven, Luka Doncic. Or, so like, <laughs> he, had, he was supposed to be this point guardish prospect, right? Like, obviously, he has a, the off dribble, the shooting, but in call in high school, he showcased this like profound pick and roll mastery that it was kind of apparent last year too. With um, he was running a lot of pick and rolls at Drake last year, especially I think it was earlier on the season rather than late. But he is he's a very good passer, and he and I think that obviously with that extra height, he can you can make those reads that shorter guards cannot make. But generally speaking, I was pretty impressed by his playmaking prowess. And I think that he can fit in pretty well as a connector in combination with, like, obviously shooting gravity and just taking advantage of that gravity to make those type of passes. But um, I think defensively, it's – I don't think it's that bad, to be honest. Um, I think last year he had a 3% block percentage and 2% steal percentage. And, of course, basketball is not played on the paper, right? Like, 
he he at, at the end of the day he's a six seven white guy with very low limited with very limited like lateral quickness and um he's not great vertically so projecting him onward is going to be a bit of a struggle but i don't think he's going to get absolutely cooked he's a very smart cerebral team defender he he got a lot of blocks and steals just by just within like the scheme he just like randomly moved in just cup the block you know like his his rotations they're very timely and I, I don't know exactly how to describe them but like at the end of the at the end of the game you'd see oh he just had three blocks and two steals and you wouldn't expect that which that's not always a good thing but I think in Tucker's case because he's he projects as this very limited athlete the fact that he can get into these like positive situations and cerebrally like make those rotations and get get those um or uh, get those stocks I think that is somewhat um important within his defensive projection and I think the last thing is like the finishing and um it's, it's it is a work in progress I think uh, last year he did not get to the free throw line at all like he had like a 24 free throw rate and his rim attempts were pretty minimal as well and this year he's he's actually doubled his free throw rate but he's still not getting to the rim as much so I think getting to the line whether that's um, through maybe driving or improving his driving crafts to get even more free throw attempts, but also like just drawing free throw attempts from the perimeter. I think that's that's more important than simply saying like this guy is not going to get to the rim at all. And the other thing is, um, I don't think he's like we talked about like off ball improvements, right? I don't think he's being um, in he's not being utilized very well schematically in terms of like his off ball play. He has a very high usage. He's handling the ball a lot. But he's not really getting these easy cuts off like when someone else is handling the ball. He's like he seems like he's pretty smart. So he would be a I feel like he'd be a pretty good reactive cutter, especially since you see like a non-athlete like Doug McDermott being, being a pretty good reactive cutter in the league. But I think making these small improvements and just fitting into a a, a more scalable role where he's like not handling the ball all the time, I think he looks like a very good connector in the league. Yeah, I think that at least in my initial watches of of him at the, the the passing has been it, it, to a level that's is positive enough that he like he obviously he he knows where he is on the court and he knows how to to move the ball along the perimeter and like like you said the rim finishing is going to be uh definitely a work in progress I, I think he has more pull up jump shots this year than he does attempts at the rim which you know for somebody who's built as like a, a catch and shoot three point guy is kind of astounding but at the same time like I think that that is where the versatility lies on offense and that he can run around screens and he can put the the ball on the deck for like a dribble or two and get into the mid-range and, and pull up for a shot he's not somebody who has to just take it off the catch or you're kind of cooked I think that will help especially at him being able to move the ball and, and work well as a connector he, he's certainly interesting and being six seven and like a decent rebounder is a plus for sure exactly yeah with Pau, we talked a little bit about fit for a prospect. So I want to hear um, what context you'd like to see him in the most in the league. Like what team specifically would you prefer? And, you know, like who do you think can amplify his skills the best? We talked about Kaluma a little bit with Pau and like who he would like to see him with. But um, basically, I'm just trying to pose the same question to you for DeVries. Um, I, think, I think he's very similar to Kevin Herter. Like just stylistically, um, they're both white, six, seven men. <laughs> they're like they both have very, they're very good passers. They're obviously they're great off movement shooters. Like I, I just see so many similarities, and it's very like, like the way Kevin Herter was utilized in Atlanta versus like Sacramento, it's astounding, right? Like his productivity has improved so much. He, he's generally become like one of the best shooters in the league, which I don't think he wasn't the best shooter in the league. He just wasn't 
utilized effectively last year versus this year. So I think, especially with these types of players, fit is very important. And to be honest, like I, I didn't think like Herder would be utilized like this in Sacramento. So I don't, I can't really make any like broad judgments about like which teams he'd fit best in. But I think like having a team that like specifically focuses on getting him good looks and perhaps like more getting within the flow of the offense, maybe having players who like drive to the rim a lot and then perhaps kicking out, maybe like a De'Aaron Fox, um, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, they're both very good passers and they, they can penetrate the rim. So getting like those kick out attempts to um, the herder. So like get a similar like scheme for DeVries would be, I think that's a very, that'd be pretty um, important. And like even having a good dribble handoff, man, I think Sabonis is pretty important for herder in that manner as well. So just generally speaking, this isn't a guy who's going to be creating his own looks. So having a good system and infrastructure that focuses on getting him those looks and getting him the most advantageous looks and taking advantage of that unique um, off drip, off movement shooting skill set, I think that's going to be really important. So maybe Sacramento, um, uh, obviously Golden State would be a dream, but that's who knows about that. But stuff like that, like your, your typical places that really prioritize the off movement shooting and destinations and such. He would you. Be- Antonio with Yak. He would be super fun in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, how much do you think the problem with Herder was like getting open looks versus the type of offense he played in? Because I know he's definitely getting like open looks with Trey Young. Like Trey Young's a great passer, yeah. but maybe he was less involved in the offense, as in like less involved in actions, more standing around or not standing around, but just like incremental movements and not getting as many shots up due to the heliocentric nature of Atlanta's offense. Uh, do you think that's kind of what what's helped him the most um, in Sacramento? And is that why you mentioned like Sacramento, Golden State, which are kind of like the antithesis of a heliocentric offense as yeah. good places for DeVries? Um, I, I, to be honest, I haven't watched too much Kevin Herter like throughout his time in the league. But I do think that um, obviously he's I think he's definitely more involved in the offense because he's so involved in Sacramento. I think by default, there's, I don't think he was that involved in Atlanta, which um, I don't know if that's a function of like the heliocentric offense, which it it makes sense, especially since, um, yeah, like you have like Trey versus someone that's more like egalitarian offense with the Kings. So perhaps that would make sense, but I, I do think that like, it's not impossible for him first this type of player to succeed in a more heliocentric offense. I think the more important part is having a good dribble handoff man, like a, a good big man. So like if you pair him in that kind of um, infrastructure, I think that is that DHO man is more important than perhaps like the heliocentric um, like guard who's like running the show. But I think generally speaking, yeah, it does make sense if you're involving Herder in more actions with the Kings, he's also playing more minutes per game. That's obviously important. He's just more involved in the, in the um, Kings offense than he was with the Hawks. So I think just involving in, involving DeVries more and just having like specifically focusing on like the unique skills that he brings, that's that's probably the most important for DeVries because outside of the shot making, obviously he does have the passing, but like if you're not utilizing him to the greatest extent as a shooter, you're kind of like missing out and you might not see the, like, the fruits that you, that you can bear with the involving of him in the offense. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that exact point, essentially, of if you don't maximize their ability, be it the, the Kevin Herter or the Doug McDermott or whatever, if you're not leaning into the maximization of their their movement shooting and their ability to run off screens and create good looks off the ball, like essentially from thin air a lot of the time, which is 
what a lot of these guys do. Like if, if you're not leaning into that, you do have like significantly diminished returns in terms of like how yeah. the kind of impact you're providing on the court. So like, it's not that Doug McDermott or, or Kevin Herter can't attack a closeout in an effective manner, but that's not the thing that makes them a dangerous player. And I think if you're, if you're spotting them up around the perimeter, you are, like, there is a, obviously an enormous value to having good shooters on the perimeter. But when you have shooters that have the, like the level of skill, like, it does feel like that like, the less you use them offensively, the less value that they have, obviously like that's like their primary skill set, but it also feels like, like the less effective their offense becomes. And it like the, it, it almost in a strange way, like, I would expect Herder to shoot a better percentage off of these like moving threes and, and off DHOs and being more involved. Cause he's getting the shots that he's confident in taking that he likes versus getting what's left over of the offense. And I think that that is important in terms of, like we said, building confidence, but also just like, getting people shots that they can make and that they practice. Like, I don't think that Kevin Herter is sitting in an empty gym, like just draining catch and shoot threes, like for six hours at a time. Like, I don't think so at all. Like maybe he did like eight years ago. But like, I imagine he's in the gym, like sprinting into like a, like a hard turnaround on the left and coming off a pin down and, and hitting like a, a 19 footer. Like I'm, I'm sure he practices that. Like, like it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously with someone like a, like a PJ Tucker or these, like, you know, these, less mobile and more kind of like stationary defensive specialists that also shoot like there is an enormous value to having somebody who can create offense for you and just like give you a, a ball in a spot where you know you can make a shot and, and you're wide open because they your defenders collapsed but for someone like Herder, it just feels like not only you like not getting something out of it but you're kind of like making him worse and 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 what he's asked to do like if, if you're going to play him that way you might as well play josh richardson or something like you, you can do it in a lot different of a way but I don't know. Exactly. It's yeah. interesting. Well, I think that uh, I think Tucker is a good starting spot. I, somebody that I've had some questions on that I I know that Avi is a big fan of, but Jet Howard out of Michigan, I think, is somebody that has been a, a, certainly a bar superstar to start the year as a freshman. Is somebody that kind of fits a lot of the uh, general indicators of uh, what you're looking for in terms of touch and feel for the game and overall like, BPM impact. Uh, have you gotten to watch much Jet and like, how do you feel like his profile fits in terms of like your I don't know, ideal wing profile? Because I kind of feel like he fits it a little bit. Yeah, I haven't watched too much Jet, but I think especially statistically, stylistically, he does fit that like the ideal wing that I like, that I tend to idealize generally speaking. But mm. I think with Jet specifically, he he brings out the uh, off movement make, shot making like for sure. He's like he's a nuclear sh um, shooter at like six eight, which I think that's important. But what's more interesting to me is like the way in which he's getting those shots. Not only are they off movement, but like his self organization. A lot of these shots is like very minimal. Like he has like very weird footwork, and he, he just suddenly goes in. He has a very fluid release. So I think that like that really bodes well for his overall shot versatility going into like. The NBA and like um, you utilizing that shot versatility more, and not only is he very versatile, but like the the percentages right now are absolutely incredible. I think he's shooting like forty four percent from three on like twelve threes per one hundred possessions. Like that's that's pretty like nutty like uh, shot making from a six eight guy. So I think that the mid range shot making's also seemed pretty good. Um, he's he hasn't been taking as many recently, but he seems to be able to control his momentum very well, which is something that I look for a lot with. Um, these movement shooting wings, which were obviously you're six eight and you're like going off movement. So like you have to be, there's more of your body to control, you know? So having that bodily control over like 
a number of these reps over and over and over again, where you're shooting these um, off movement shots. I think that bodily control, uh, bodily momentum and the control of that momentum is very important as um, a wing shooter. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is he seems to be a very good passer as well. Um, there's some clips, there's some uh, passes where I've watched. I haven't watched too much of him in detail, so I, I can't speak too much on the passing. But first of all, statistically, he's he seems like a very good passer. He, he'll he probably end the year with 13% assist percentage at least, which is very, which bodes very well um, for his like, as like a query metric, that 13% assist for like a six, eight wing with his shooting is pretty, that's a very good indicator of future success. But I think um, on the tape, uh, he has flashed some manipulation, which I think that's a kind of a theme from a lot of these wings this year. Brandon Miller's another guy where he's flashed some like manipulate or manipulation passes where like he's manipulating the roller and he's like, he can like somewhat read the second, the second level defenses with his passing. I think driving is a different story, but like these manipulative passers as wings is something that we're going to, I think we're going to see more and more recently or in coming years. But yeah, I think the combination of the shot making and the, the passing. And then the other thing is um, there's some like defensive concerns with him. Like I think he's a little slow laterally, but he's a very, very smart rotator. And I think statistically you're not seeing that yet. He's like sub 1% steal rate, which is generally for me, that's a pretty, that's a poor indicator. Like I, I don't like seeing wings that have sub one percent steal percentages and don't get to the rim because that indicates a level of inathleticism. But if you actually watch Jet, like he's not very he's not inathletic at all. Like he takes very like um his strides to the rim are not all long, but he varies them. He he can he manipulates his like his hips and he can like rotate around guys. I think his his handle is very, very good for it's much better than I expected. He's very fluid. So if you consider like the shot making, the fluidity within like the dribble to the shot within the, the shot making, the passing, I think um, the defensive rotations, the very the cerebral team defense that he offers, I think all of that just screams very good high end role player in the league. So I don't I don't see like a crazy primary upside for him, but I think with Jet specifically, like you can really lock him in for someone who's going to give you who's going to um, just play very good team basketball for however long you put on the floor. Yeah, I think the way Jet moves has really been interesting to me. He's uh, he's obviously like big, like six eight listed. We'll see what he comes in at in actual com- yeah. combine measurements. But he and, and you mentioned Brandon Miller, and it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition point that when you watch Brandon Miller on the court, it does feel like he's running on stilts sometimes. Like obviously, he's very thin, but it, it and he has an ability to kind of come around screens and to move around the court well, but it does feel kind of like unstable in a way that makes it is interesting to me. And at least it catches my eye versus watching jet. It's like the ground is solidly beneath his feet, every single step that he takes. And I think it's just all, like, I don't know if it's like a center of gravity is low or if he's just a really strong lower body or just a really like profound sense of balance. But I love watching him move around the court and kind of in a similar way to Jairus Walker, where it's almost like their lower body kind of like glides around and it's like they they never seem like they're out, like off balance or out of place. And I think that forebodes well for Jed as, as, as a shooter off movement and as somebody who's like a more versatile offensive piece and that he does have very good control of his body. And you can tell that he does like, he's not going to be taxed by doing more advanced things, I guess, as, as like running around off the ball or being able to change his momentum. Like he's, going to be versatile in a ton of different respects. Defensively will be some interesting questions, but I agree that I think his rotation rotations have been good and that he's smart and kind of knows where to be. And more often than not, that's going to cover up anything. So it's not like he's this slow footed plotter that can't get around the court. He just isn't like an incredible athlete that is going to like blow you away 
like laterally, which is fine. I think that's totally okay. And I don't know, Jet's really ex- interesting to me. I'm excited to look into him more. Um, is there anybody else that has kind of popped to you in the beginning of the season, be it statistically or just in film, or that you're excited about? I guess. Um, I think Brandon Miller, someone who's he's popped. It's there's various reasons why he's popped, but um, like the profile is very. It's hard to uh, kind of <laughs> understand what's going on here. Because on one end, you have, like, theoretically speaking, this is someone who's, like, he he should be, like, a good wing in the NBA. He, he has that combination of, like, passing and shooting, which at 6'9", and he's a pretty, he's a freshman, he's very highly recruited. Um, he, he seems like someone who should be good, but there's this weird dichotomy where he's a very good three-point shooter. He's shooting, like, I think it's, like, 45% from three or something. Yeah, 48% from three. And he's also shooting... Um, 32% at, from twos. So diving into um, Brandon Miller more, I expect I, didn't, I expected to see some sort of like um, like this nuclear off-ball wing or a nuclear wing who can play off-ball. And I, I haven't really seen that at all because I, I, he he really isn't that great of a finisher. I, I don't think that anyone's really doubting that. There's been a lot, a lot of talk about how he's failing to get those efficient finishing angles that we talked about before as well as like just converting those. But I think... One of the issues with that is um, with Miller, he he really isn't getting very much action in these off-ball plays at all. Like a lot of the finishing that he's doing is self-created. He's in like an ISO setting and he has to maneuver his way around the defender and self-create those finishes. So I think that perhaps it's some issue with the role, right? I, he's not going to be a great self-created finisher, but what if he doesn't really need to be? What if you really la- rely on that, that shot making, which is absolutely incredible for someone who's 6'9", and just take that manipulative passing. I think he's, he's been low-key one of like the best passers like in this freshman class. So what if you rely on that, the shot-making and the, the passing, and just scale him down? I think that that's something that um, there are very large flaws within this game, but part of the flaws is I think it's a function of usage. And perhaps like scaling him down, finding more effective roles for him can yield pretty impressive results in the league. But... Looking more into like Miller, I've done like a pretty d- deep dive into Miller and like the issues with his finishing. I think part of the, some of the issues that I've seen with him is um, he's somewhat explosive, but off one foot in traffic. I think the, the verticality off one foot in traffic is a very good indicator of like your finishing potential moving on. Because I think any like there's a clip of him like jumping over someone in high school, and I think that's very important. That's very valuable. I think in a sense to see that oh he has this in his bag, but the the ability to actually contort yourself and do that in traffic, that's significantly more important. And I think looking at like the biomechanical implications of that, um, he's a very, very stiff driver from what I've seen. Like, and perhaps he's not as stiff as someone like Jabari Smith. Like sometimes um, uh, Miller gets low. I I think the burst issues are a little um, overstated, but when he does get to the rim, some, he does not get the efficient finishing angles that you'd hope for, which is partially, that's partly like a function of, um, um, his the torso flexibility where he's kind of just running towards the guy and he's not really like moving his body his his external hip rotation is absolutely you, you rarely see it you see it in someone like Shea who's like moving around people but that like gliding aspect is not you don't really see it with Miller because he he can't really go around those defenders at all he's kind of just throwing his body out there and just seeing what happens and that's what you see like the off balance finishes but like I, I think I sent one in like a group chat where um one of the finishes he made the shot but he lands on one foot with his other foot like sticking out completely 
So it's it's that like that lack of balance and the lack of his the lack of bodily momentum, which we control. We compare that with someone like Jet. He controls himself very well. I don't see that as much with someone like Brandon Miller, where he's he, he's always falling after like those clumsy finishes. And even when he does, the, the bigger issue to me is he does sometimes get very good finishing angles where he just like jumps a little early and he, he you you pause the clip and you're like, okay, he looks like he he has a good angle. He he should make the shot, but I feel like he's he, he holds the onto the ball too much sometimes. And so it kind of seems like his finishing touch isn't that good. Where that's a function, that's another issue, right? Like if his finishing touch isn't that good and it's hard to improve, how how good of a finisher can he be in the league compared to like if he is getting those angles and he's simply holding onto the ball more, can we fix that? So it's a pretty like it, it's an issue with um, scouting him that you really have to think about to interesting laundry. But I think there are some types of like biomechanical flaws within Brandon Miller's driving game that may prevent him from getting those efficient finishing angles that isn't as comparable to someone who's also like skinny, not that bursty Shea, who's in comparison very flexible. So I think overall, like looking at Miller's like finishing, it's I don't see that many paths of improvement, but um, I don't think that finishing that just honing on the finishing is that um, productive overall. I think that scaling him down using his other strengths is obviously is ultimately going to be more productive for his projection to the league overall. I think Miller is a really interesting case. And, I, and you mentioned his ability to finish around the rim and the actual touch. Do you think that any of that is to do with his like, physical strength and, and adding weight? Do you think that through getting stronger over the course of the next couple of years, obviously he's a little bit older for a freshman, so yeah. there's less of a, a time horizon for that. But do you would you expect to see any improvement in his in his actual touch and finishing or be able to handle contact through putting weight? Or do you think that it's something that putting weight could make him maybe a little bit like less quick off the ground and now it's he, he's at a disadvantage. How do you how do you see that, I guess, specific variable? Um, I think that like looking at his body type, first of all, is pretty important because not I think the age is a completely different conversation, right? Like how do you um look at like the age he's 20 years old and how do you apply that to the age development curve of a freshman player with a sophomore age like development pattern. So and I like an that, old sophomore at that. I think yeah. it's important to note that. It's like if you would have exactly. been in your grade class in school, he would have had a birthday in like uh, uh, in November, and he's he's what driving yeah. to school as a is a sophomore, and it's great and it's super cool. Like I mean, it's not like he is exactly he's like yeah. a year and a half older than some guys. He's about November two years older than Gigi. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's definitely a little bit older, which is probably something worth noting. But again, like there's guys like like Devin Vassell entered the league as as a sophomore, and was has been able to put on a decent amount of weight. But I, I think that age point and like exactly how old he is is probably an important one but like looking at like his body type specifically right like to me it's it's hard to tell like just off a couple games but i think he has he seems to have like a smaller torso which and he's like pretty lengthy which i I don't have like a wingspan measurement on him that's something else i'm trying to look for because perhaps like he can utilize that wingspan more the the way shea does right like he can just you once you get those angles you can it's kind of free-for-all with that the um the extension finishes with all that length that he has. So I think he does have a long wingspan. So like, if you look at that small torso, long wingspan type body, um, polar fall, he's a great fall on Twitter. He did a study about this and he pointed out like DeJounte Murray, Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum as players who um, they have that body type and they historically struggled to make layups or like self-create layups um, or make even any sort of like rim attempt that's not dunk. So 
the issue with that body type, obviously, is it's hard to take context. It's hard to take bumps. So you can't really like push someone. Like Harden is someone who's like he's a great driver, but he's he's very bulky and he's very strong, so he can take contact around the rim. So he can he can enable those um, finishing angles more efficiently. But obviously, these type of players don't have that. So if you look at Tatum, like this year, he's made that MVP leap, and partly that's because he's made that finishing leap. And that's partially like it's a strength thing where he's put on um, a lot of strength compared to Duke and he can take that contact. He's also like improved as a finisher just in terms of his touch in a bit. Like I was looking at the synergy stats the other day and his, his finishing touch wasn't amazing. Like you wouldn't expect, I didn't think that his finishing numbers were amazing, but he has made significant leaps within that finishing. So I think that it is a function of strength and just getting more effective finishing angles, whether that's a strength, He's, he's, I think he's become a little more flexible since Duke. That's another thing. So there are there are avenues, but with that body type, you're kind of inherently like set to be a poor finisher till you make those improvements. So I don't like I don't think that like just simply putting on strengths and make Miller a better finisher. He he has to make those flexibility improvements. He has to make those um the, like the targeted strength improvements. Like where are you targeting him? Perhaps like around the torso. Perhaps putting around the legs where you can actually be more robust to that contact. And I think that with Miller's case, just simply like improving the, the, the means like your finishing craft to hold on to the ball as much, maybe utilize your wingspan a little bit more. So I think the finishing is improvable to an extent, but it is a little bit hindered by his body type and just the way that he is going about with his finishing. So I, I, I think there, he should improve. Obviously he's like 23% in the rim, like that or 32 or something like that, like that should improve, but I don't, it's hard to project the, the means of improvement because of the body type and the craft. This question is a little bit different, but I think it's kind of a cool one because you're a bit of a biomechanics expert, but let's say you were his physical trainer or like yeah. athletic trainer or whatever. Uh, what type of exercises would you be having him do to make these improvements or like what, what type of training plan would you give him? I think... I think just for any player, I think just core strength is very important. I think that's very applicable to like with Miller specifically, like he has, he's shown like the strength to um, like stabilize. He's taking like very deep threes, which aren't, he hasn't been shooting great off movement that well, but like the stationary threes from deep, like from NBA range, that's pretty impressive and does showcase like a requisite level of core strength. I think just generally speaking, having like um, positive core strength and just like, just your ab abdominal strength in general, that's like the the driving factor, right? Within like making contact, taking bumps and getting to the rim. So obviously I'm not saying like, just focus on that part and just have like a muscular imbalance overall, but just focus when you're, when you are focusing on that, um, the strength aspect of it, I think the abdominal strength within making the, and getting those more effective finishing angles, that's probably, that would be like one of the biggest things I would say. And the other thing is he's not a very, flexible finisher. So I think contorting your torso is something that's very important as a finisher. It's like someone like Zion, who's, I don't think he's, he's like the traditional guy you think of when you think of like someone who's flexible, who's finishing around the room with craft. But when, with Zion, like he has the uh, explosive ability and then he like contorts his body a little bit like that, the abdominal, like the, the, the alignment, it, it changes as he's jumping from, from the start to finish. So I think that Miller does lack a bit of flexibility, which I, I don't know how much flexibility can be improved per se, but targeting that flexibility, maybe like, like P3 has done a lot of flexibility stuff. Like 
his upper body flexibility, the torso flexibility moving to um, uh, from side to side and up and down. Uh, I think that the, the targeted the flexibility for improved finishing craft in, in addition to like the abdominal strength to take contact in getting to the rim. I think that's going to be very important overall and just becoming a better finisher. Do you think there's an order of operations that there needs to be there? Like, do you think he should be targeting the flexibility, specific flexibility and mobility first and then the strength? Because I'm assuming, and I, I think it holds true that adding strength or weight before improving flexibility can make it harder to improve flexibility yeah. in the future. So do you think that's something that uh, teams or organizations um, should look to target with him first is improving that flexibility to as, as much as you can and then start to target the strength gains and all that? I don't think I completely know, but I it would make intuitive sense, right? Like perhaps you can, there's probably ways to do it um, in combination where if you do a little bit of both comp and, and just mark the progress of that, I think that um, a lot of like the, like I, I targeted like the abdominal thing and um, like even this is like upper body strength where like, like you can like push guys back, right? Like you can use the off arm to like, um, just get to the rim, kind of push your defender back a little bit so you can get more like space and getting to the rim. I think just generally speaking, uh, like the flexibility is something that that's a very key aspect of it. But um, I think consistently like focusing on flexibility, not even like just like in his pre-draft or like the first couple of years, but I think just overall, like if he wants to enable those positive finishing angles, just constantly working on flexibility. I think we see some like LeBron's and like a lot of like flexibility stuff, like he's like 35, 36. So Flexibility is something that you kind of like focus on like for the rest of your career almost. But I think the adding strength aspect of it, I think that's more on like the, the formative years of his NBA experience. So perhaps there's a way to reconcile both of those. But I think flexibility is more like a long-term goal where you, you can't really massively change flexibility, I think. But slowly making those changes is that as like an overarching like goal. I think in terms of that, flexibility is pretty important in targeting. Yeah, I think that's an, an interesting one. I think we could, uh, I think everyone could probably stand to be a little bit more flexible in their lives. I think it is probably just a, a general thing that's uh, it's healthy and good for you. Um, I know my back is telling me that right now. Um, but I, I think it's interesting with, with Miller and, and the question of to build strength or to build flexibility first. Um, I, I think with a lot of his issues, especially like you said, with his, his torso being able to like contort his body for angles i think a lot of that does have to do too like the, with the strength of your torso like the strength of your 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 back and your overall like uh like core center of body and being able to actually do that in air it's not easy to jump in the air and to turn your body and to do that like under control obviously there is some amount of flexibility but a lot of it too is just being strong enough to do that confidently and to do that in a way that isn't like taxing to you to where you have to really struggle and i think that eliminating the struggle from his game is going to be uh not an easy task, but I think that he's such a, a smooth scorer and his shot is so good. That he's going to have plenty of chances to be able to figure it out. And like the, a team is going to take him in the top eight of the draft and he's going to have a ton of investment in him. And I, and I do think that his physical limitations, while there is that like general comparison to Jabari Smith, like you said, I don't think that he's quite as stiff and quite as uh, it's not as hard for me to project him being able to like get a little bit better in a multitude of areas and become like somebody who's actually a threat with the ball in their hands that can create some amount of offense, maybe not as a primary option, but as like a, like an awesome secondary option or somebody who can, you know, run an offense for stretches because he is a good passer. 
Um, I don't know. He's really interesting. I think that there are some interesting limitations, but uh, maybe not as ugly as what the numbers would say, but that doesn't mean that they're not important to note because uh, it's it's pretty bad. Like the the, yeah. the stark contrast between like his, his actual shooting numbers versus like finishing numbers is pretty astounding. And um, I don't know, he'll be really interesting. Somebody I'm really looking forward to uh, watch this year. Yeah, I um, think the other thing is like, it's somewhat like a misnomer where like your strength and flexibility can't be like attacked at the same time. Like obviously mm-hmm. it's important to build strength, right? But like the whole point of flexibility is to like improve like the joint range of motion, right? And if you have a greater range of motion, you can activate more like muscles and just target more muscles more effectively. So I think that like, the flexibility and strength kind of go hand in hand to an extent where I think activating more flexibility will help him like take contact more and it'll help him utilize that muscle in a more effective manner. So just targeting both of them at one, targeting the strength and the muscle. I don't know how that works. Again, we talked about the age thing. He is a little older. He's an old sophomore, honestly, like a November 2002 birthday. So I don't, I don't really know how that works age-wise. Maybe um, he hasn't really had the, the facilities and he hasn't really focused on that as much. So maybe he's technically behind the curve and he's act his body is like a freshman. But I, I think that's something that needs to be studied a little more because we haven't really seen anyone like this. Like this is a very it's a unique body type. It's a unique skill set. And on top of that, he's, he's a unique age. And so like, uh, he's going to be a very good inflection point and like understanding development curves and understanding like strength development and all this, all that stuff. So I'm really interested to see, I'm not, I'm not out on Brendan Miller at all. I think he's a very productive, he's a very unique set of skills, but I do think that he does have some extreme like weaknesses and looking at how he addresses those weaknesses and how he's utilized in the league is going to be really important for future projection. All right, one last biomechanics question. I think a lot of times when we talk about flexibility, we kind of like throw out like flexibility in your whole body in general. Mm -hmm. But do you think that there are certain parts of your body that are easier to develop, develop flexibility in? Like ankle mobility is probably easier to improve than hip mobility or... I think that that could be important to break it down even further to um, to diagnose a prospect's issues or weaknesses and whatnot. Yeah, obviously, I'm still like understanding this to a great extent, but I think a more effective and question would be like, what is the hardest parts to develop flexibility? Because I, I don't think anything like flexibility is probably that's one of the harder things to develop. And I don't think you can make great strides in flexibility, like to the extent that you become completely different, like fluid player in like in the NBA sense, but obviously I do think that flexibility can be improved. But one of the things that I think is more harder to improve is um, the, the external hip rotation. And this is something that I kind of just like, I've developed a better understanding over like the last couple of weeks, but it, I especially figured this concept out, like looking at someone like Shea Gildas Alexander at Kentucky. I spent a lot of time watching him. And what's really interesting about him is that he's not considered someone who's particularly bursty, right? Like, so he's not, he doesn't move very fast. He doesn't even have very long stride lengths either. So how does someone who's not um, traditionally fast or does not have tradition, traditionally like a long strides, how does, how do they get to the rim and how do they enable those positive finishing angles that we're so like um, enamored with? And then obviously convert that with his positive finishing touch. But I think with Shay specifically, I've seen a lot of external hip rotation. What that is where you have your legs, right? But your hip essentially shifts outward so when you shift your hip outward and like suddenly 
you can you can manipulate around a defender more effectively. I think that manipulation around a defender is extremely important in these like in terms of activating finishing angles because there's a very high threshold of flexibility you need in getting around someone. I think getting past someone is you, you run past them, right? But if you want to utilize your strength and brute force past them, just push them side, like whatever. But like moving around someone requires a lot more flexibility, a lot more finesse. I think Shea mastered that even at Kentucky where he had those sudden external hip rotations and just he can contort his momentum very efficiently where that the defender, like they don't, they have to backtrack. They have to move to the side and like um, uh, cover them laterally and just suddenly uh, moving your hip and activating the external hip rotation. It kind of suddenly um, surprises a defender and, it's a lot easier to once you once you make that extra step past them with the external hip rotation, you can manipulate around them and get and move past them and then go to like the next level of the defense or whatever whatever the case is. So I think with that hip rotation, it's so important. But the other thing is, if it's so important, it's it's very hard to actually make amends on like uh, hip rotation, like hip flexibility is something that um, it seems like it's kind of hard to improve. I think like I've. I personally have like looked at a lot, a lot at like hip flexibility, like the the literature relating to that, and like obviously you can do whatever like the the crisscross applesauce stuff, but, like you did in like preschool, and like do the butterflies and like push your like put like pressure on your pelvis and stuff. But I think there's like a different level with Shea where that external hip rotation really allows him to bypass like traditional levels of burst or like stride lengths, where he can he doesn't really rely on the stride lengths. He has these very choppy steps. And the he varies his stride lengths very efficiently, and that variability in, in stride lengths is, I think, in my opinion, like somewhat a function of the external hip rotation. So I think all flexibility is pretty hard, but that the manipulation with that um, hip rotation and the effects of that on the kinetic chain, I think it's particularly hard to improve on. It's something that perhaps it's not targeted enough, and maybe if you target it more, you see more amends. But generally speaking, I think. Hip rotation is important, but it's hard to prove. Well, that is a really interesting point. I, I know Nima Dravadzada, uh, finding Nima on the finishing touch uh, wall of fame here uh, from the last episode, has mentioned in the chat recently the idea of using kind of a curved uh, routes to the rim in order to like, yeah. to, they, they, like long jumpers use that. And it increases their like, ability to get higher off the ground and kind of their momentum into it. I think having that ability, like you said, to open up your hips and to get into that like curved route to the rim quickly and like efficiently is is super valuable and uh yeah I, I can see why that would be hard to to develop because uh, yeah the crisscross applesauce or whatever it is the butterflies did nothing for me as a kid my hips are terrible i can't open them at all it's just done but I, I think that's a really interesting point and and something yeah. that especially in terms of like on ball usage is, is super important and uh kind of like why these like funky movement pattern guys like shy are like generally a an interesting bet to make in in the first round it's like well like if they, they move weird and they, they move in ways people don't expect and they're unorthodox like there's probably some type of like low-hanging fruit that you can like you can use from that to like just like maximize their growth and then maximize their chances at creating better looks and i think shy is yeah. obviously the poster board for that poster board for that but i think that's something to uh to definitely account for in the draft process is, yeah i think with, guys that move weird and look strange <laughs> With Chase specifically, it's like this year he's made that mid-range leap and everyone's like, oh, where did this come from? Why is, why is he all of a sudden like a great mid-range shooter? And it's like to me, obviously it's a great improvement and it's something that you can't really – it's not something that people add to their bag very fast. Like 
it, the mid range is obviously it's a completely different shot than like the three point section or like driving to the rim. So obviously a great great job to Shea for like adding that to his bag essentially. But I don't think like for Shea specifically that's a very very low hanging fruit, right? Like the whole point of um, like mid range mid rangers is you have it's a greater emphasis on like creating space compared to like at the three point line where like obviously you're closer. Like the closer you move to the rim, like the more like the pressure you're gonna get, the more space you have to create or you either have to like burst to the rim in that sense for like for drives but i think with shea specifically he has like all the biomechanical like tools in his tool bag to activate like he has not only does he have like the touch like the just the intrinsic touch where he's like he's a great shooter he he's a great he's great at float or float floaters his finishing touch is like it's obviously incredible so i don't think just in from a pure touch standpoint i don't think it was very low hanging fruit at all to like or very high hanging fruit to go to the mid range and start shooting mid rangers. But I think biomechanically speaking, he has such a great control over his momentum. And obviously there's the whole hip rotation thing. He, he varies his stride length. So like, it's not that difficult to start going from like the small stride lengths, like slow to fast and then slow to like, that's a momentum thing. But then obviously like you can slow to fast to, to mid range pull. So like that, like the combination of like all those movement pattern skills with touch, and he has that playmaking aspect on top of it. That's like it's very overpowered in a sense. And on top of everything, he's six like he's six 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 seven. So you have this jumbo initiator who not only does he have incredible touch, but he's also extremely gifted as a mover and flexibility wise. So I think like with these kind of guys, it, it kind of goes into like what are the indicators of outlier development, and like what are the athletic and biomechanical indicators of of outlier development. And I think that just fluidity in general, or Shay, it wasn't he Shay didn't have great finishing percentages at Kentucky, but no one's doubting that he's a great finisher now. So making those type of projections and understanding like the biomechanical basis and just the movement, the movement patterns that enable these mid-range shots, these at the rim shots, these three-point shots, and just actually understanding movement as a function of like enabling you to make these types of easy breeds or easy shots. I think all that in tandem, like it should, you should use that as a tool, as a tool in your toolbox to like, when you're projecting forward, you like you look at this movement, you look at all the touch, you look at all like how they're getting the shots, and ultimately you take it all together and you you make that projection. How are they gonna make how are they gonna like get easy baskets in that in the NBA? And I think that's that's something that I'm trying to work on specifically. That's why I've started to focus more on like the movement basis of players, the movement basis of wings specifically, and trying to understand how does movement play into projection? How does how does unique movement patterns and driving patterns actually affect the ability of a player to improve at a variety of different aspects or the, the three-level scoring or even playmaking? Just the effect of movement on, on projection is something that it hasn't really been touched on too much in draft Twitter, in my opinion, but I think that just focusing on it more is going to yield a lot of fruitful benefits. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of untapped potential in that realm of draft evaluation. And I know Avi, you're definitely the guy to uh, figure out more about that. Uh, you know more about biomechanics than anybody I know, but unfortunately we're gonna have to go ahead and wrap our conversation up for today. I'm just gonna throw it back to you for a little bit to shout out some of your work, your pod with Grib and uh, just let us know what you got cooking up. Yeah, um, yeah. every Friday me and Grib record an episode for our, or we release an episode and record for our um, <laughs> we have the unhinged scouting notebook, which we are coming to Spotify soon, which should help our like listening a lot or viewership a lot. But just keep an eye out for the unhinged scouting notebook on Spotify. 
and uh, we have some great episodes coming out soon. And then I, I'm hoping to have, uh, like, obviously I'm at Swiss Theory, but I'm hoping to have an article about kind of finishing touch, like the underlying indicators of outlier of, of outlier development, maybe athletically and biomechanically. I hope to have an article out about that sometime soon. And obviously on Twitter at 100 guaranteed. But yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity. We had great conversations. Yeah, and I'm so excited to read uh, that one on Switch Theory. Uh, Tyler, did you want to go ahead and shout out our stuff real quick? Yeah, that was uh, that article sounds uh, right up my alley. Um, it's, it's great. We may have to bring you on again once it's up and and talk about it because that sounds like uh, yeah. exactly what we're looking to uh, to, to get done. Always the pod. <laughs> but uh, I am uh, at at prospecting NBA on. Uh, the Twitter's here. David Sidock is at David Sidock eight. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Is David it number eight again? There we yeah. go. S A J D A K. There you go. There we go. <laughs> the classic spelling. All right. Well, uh, it has been an awesome <laughs> time. Next week, uh, we will have David off. Next week, uh, I will have a a guest. We'll dis- we'll discuss. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We might. I might just wing it. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be rambling for forty five minutes into a microphone. But. Uh, you know, looking forward to uh, getting into draft season and uh, getting the December grind going because this is when it, it all starts to feel real. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to it and excited for this class. There are a ton of really interesting players to look at and uh, a ton of a ton of stuff to sink your teeth into. So it should be a fun month. Yep, exciting times for sure. Uh, we shouted out ourselves, but we got to shout out the pod account too, ftpod yes. underscore. Uh, go ahead and follow that. We're going to be posting links to all our episodes on there. Um, but yeah, until next time, this is Finishing Touch signing out. Peace.